How's it going, K2? Yeah, you guys doing well? Hey, my name is Derek Murphy, and uh, just happy that you're here. Let's give a round of applause to everybody that went to Eswatini. Uh, just, it's amazing what God is doing down there, and uh, if you support children down there too, just know that, man, not only are you changing the quality of life for a kid down there, but you're also giving them access to understanding who God is, and, uh, and that's just amazing. So it's a neat thing that's going down, so you should get down there and sign up. Uh, go this, this uh, March. It'd be awesome to have you. So, hey, today we are talking about the nature of God, and we're in the week two of this message. And, uh, and so I just think it's really important that we, we actually understand God's nature, because what we believe about God is actually how we live, right? Um, and so what we, uh, th- that's not to say that we don't we, we actually believe differently than we act, but we, what we believe, we, we live out in our actions. And so just want to illustrate that real quick with when I was a, a child, I think eight or nine, 10 years old, um, elementary school age at least, I would go out and I would sleep on the trampoline. And when I was sleeping out on the trampoline, I would sleep under the stars and you just look up and you'd see just, man, how amazing, how vast everything was. And it, it got these thoughts going through my head about all the big questions of life, like, what was the world like before time existed? You know, like, what was I before I was born? Was my soul and spirit created at the moment that I was conceived, or was that in existence beforehand? Uh, what, <laughs> what was, what, does God always eternally existing, or was he created at some point? Like, these things would go through my head, and it would just, it would just like, melt my mind. I don't know Maybe this is weird for an eight or nine-year-old. I have no idea, but here's something very spiritual I would do. Um, I would pray, and this is what my pray, prayer would be. God, as I lay here, and I, I believe this would happen, I, I believe you can do anything, God, so when I wake up in the morning on my trampoline around me, would you just have a million dollars laying there? <laughs> spiritual, right? Um, it's... That was my understanding of God. Somehow, my understanding of money um, worked its way into my understanding of the, the Creator, right? And in fact, I loved to save money. Um, and so I would get paid a dollar a week from my parents to go out and feed the horses every day. And so at one point in time, I had $72 in my frosting container. And my, my brother was like, hey, you want to go to a movie? But it wasn't my parents going, it would have just been us. And uh, The Lion King came out, and it was going to cost $3 for me to go to that movie, right? And so I thought, is it worth three weeks of my savings to go and go to see this movie? And I'm like, no way, I'm not going to go do that. So I saved my $72 uh, so I could, uh, you know, I don't know what I was going to do with it. But somehow... My thought, my, uh, you know, my tight-waddedness of uh, wanting to collect and be, be rich or whatever, I don't know what I was thinking as a, you know, at that age, but that, that worked its way into my understanding of life, but then all, even bigger than that, worked my way into my understanding of God. And so what we believe about God is actually how we decide to live. So I think it's really important that we get good beliefs about God that we can actually take and maybe replace and exchange out for the things that we've just kind of placed in there, right? And so that's what we're doing with this series. We're trying to get 
good, firm, solid beliefs. This is what God actually is. It's not our culture. It's not our parents. It's not all these other things that are clouding our actual image of who God is. So today, we're talking about the Trinity. So I got the softball, you know, sermon today. It's the easy one, right? The, it's, a, it's a joke, guys, okay? It's like the Trinity. You can just explain it so easily, right? It's whatever. Um, I, just so you know, I love to interact in sermons. So uh, that was just my, my cue up to say, hey, um, if I if I'm ask you a question, you can respond. I'd love, love for you to do that. So... Um, the Trinity is, what I'm not going to do today is I'm not going to go ahead and take a bunch of time and try to prove the Trinity to you. Um, now, what I will do is I'm going to say, what are the implications for our life if we actually believe in this reality? And so what I'm going to do to start off with um, is to give you five facts, five biblical facts supporting the Trinity, because the Trinity, the word, first of all, is never in the Bible. And, uh, and it's never explained exactly this way, but there's five supporting facts. Um, that, and I, I don't have time to go through scriptures, but in your sermon notes, there are scriptures supporting each one of these. And so the scriptures that I'm going to be preaching from today aren't necessarily the scriptures that are in your sermon notes. I wanted to give you all the material you needed to go do some of this research on your own. But the Father is called God. The Son is called God. That's Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit is called God. Okay, so that must mean that there's three, right? There's three gods. Well, there's three that relate to one another. There's some relationship going on. It's not modalism where you have one, like God the Father throughout the Old Testament was this one thing, and then, and then he came down and he became another thing when he became Jesus, and then he became another thing when he became the Spirit. Because we see when Jesus is baptized, there's actually this... Uh, all three are present at that one specific moment, right? And then it's not three different gods, right? Three distinctly different gods that says all throughout Scripture that there is only one God in the Bible. That is over 600 times is mentioned. So how do we have three different persons called God and have only one God? Well, that's the Trinity, and I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> there you go. End of sermon. Let's go home. You know, uh, that's how I can help you today, right? No, this is this is the the, the thing that we are. It's a mystery, and uh, but it is what the scriptures uh, actually uh, give us to wrestle with. Uh, it's a mystery. We, it's not easily understood. But this is an amazing story that God actually tells through His three different interactions and personalities. And so let's, let's dive into that, starting with understanding God the Father, right? And so if we want to understand the story, we always have to start at the beginning. So in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God created the earth, right? He created uh, the world, he created everything in it, and he created mankind, right? And so First of all, I want to, uh, just this is a rhetorical question. Does God love you? You don't need to answer. Here's one that I want you to answer. Do you exist? Okay, if you answered no to that, you've got more than theological problems, okay? Uh, here's, here's the thing. You exist, therefore God loves you. God looked out into all the world, and he saw everybody that he had created before. 
And he goes, man, there's something missing still. And when he looked out and he saw what was missing, he imagined you and he created you in your place. Now, you may not feel like you're significant. You may not feel like you're important. You may, not feel, you may feel even like you're an accident. And I want to tell you that that is not the truth. I would sit there under the stars on my trampoline and I would imagine all these big questions, which I, I'm, I'm up here feeling like maybe I'm the only one that ever did that. So if you did do that too, you should come after and tell me that. So I feel a little bit more normal. But the, uh, I would also go, what are the chances that out of billions of people on this earth, I was created, that I, was, I came into existence? What are the chances my parents would meet and that they would you know, conceive me at this specific time so that I would be made? And, and that's the wrong question, right? God made you and it was not an accident. He created you and he loves you. And talking about that idea, I just want to read one quick passage about God's love and it's out of 1 John. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Does that passage say that God is loving? No. What does it say? God is? Okay. Here's, let me, let me get deep with you just for a second, okay? If God is love then that means that that has to be part of God's core nature. Now, that means that it would have to have been part of God from the beginning of time to the end of time. And here's the deal, is that love takes place in the midst of relationship. So if God is love, then it couldn't be that he only experienced love when he made his first creation. When he made Adam, it, that, that can't be the first time that he experienced love because that would mean that God wouldn't be love, it would mean that God is loving. Do you guys get the difference? Does that make sense? Instead, God is love. Like the core of God's nature is this. And I want to say the, the core of God's nature is love because God in himself is in relationship. Like this, when we try to understand God, we have to first of all understand that this is who God is. God is love because God is in relationship before any one of us ever walked the earth. That's who he is. That's who we worship. That's who our God is. And so God, out of his nature, um, he starts, he creates us, right? He, he says, I'm love. I want to create this being that I can love and that can love me, that I'm going to create in my own image, in my own likeness, something that's a lot like me. And so he does that. And then we start to walk this world, walk this life out, where we start this relationship with God that expands God's love and his relationship, right? It's like this, this interaction that we get to have, and we get to love because God first loved us, right? And then we decide uh, as humanity that we... Uh, we actually want to be like God. We were told a lie that we could be like God if we understood both good and evil. Um, and then we decided, okay, if I understand good and evil, it means I'll know the difference between right and wrong, which will mean that I can make my own decisions. And that means I can become the master of my own destiny, which means I can be God. And we were told that 
God didn't want us to know these things because then we'd be like him. And the truth is, is what happened after that is that once we understood all these things, it actually, instead of connecting us with God and with other people, it disconnected us from all the good things that God wanted to give us. And so we had this disconnection, not only from God, but what's the next story that happens after Adam and Eve's sin? Do you guys know? Who's the next two main characters? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. And how did that go? Not so good. Broken relationship starts to happen. So we start to try to be like God. We break our relationship with God. We break our relationship with each other. We separate ourselves from one another. And if I were God, I would do exactly like I would do with, like, uh, you know, a drawing that I have. Like, I used to love to draw. I wanted to, when I was that age, eight, nine, ten, whatever, I wanted to be an artist. But, you know, you, you start drawing and you mess something up, rip it out, crumble it up, throw it away. This is what I would do if creation, my creation, uh, didn't turn out the way I had planned. But I'm not God, and guess what? God is, God is love. And so he doesn't work that way. Instead of throwing us out, starting anew, he decides, I'm going to double down and engage at a whole different level. And he starts to try to find ways to reveal himself to us. And he does that through the first 11 chapters of Scripture. And then uh, he, he, he starts telling a story a different way. Think of the first 11 chapters of Scripture uh, are like the preface. And I said this first service, and somebody said, it's not the preface, it's the prologue. Okay, so just, just want to say, it might be the prologue, it might be the preface, I'm not a literature major. So, um, but it's the pre-story to the story that God's going to tell. Where does God, where, where, if an author has a preface, where does the story actually start? In chapter 1. Okay, so imagine that Genesis chapter 12 is like chapter 1 of a book, right? And so this is how God starts to engage uh, us and his story, okay? So this is, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, this is how... God starts his story. God is in relationship. That's his nature, which means God is love. Good. You guys have got this. Um, so not only that, does it mean that he, he actually wants to connect with people in relationship. So God, as he's trying to tell a story, his story to all the world, he looks around all the earth and he finds a guy that looks a lot like him, who's trusting the story that he's trying to tell and he goes, man, that guy is doing something. I'm going to ask that guy to be my representative here on this earth. So he calls out to Abram and he says, hey, leave everything you know and come follow me. And guess what? I'm going to bless you. And it's not a blessing so that there's haves and have-nots. What does he say? He wants to bless him because he wants Abraham's descendants to do what? To bless Everyone, right? All nations is what it says. So this is the plan that God has. Now, 
Many of us get confused about God's intent for the world, but this is chapter one of the story that God is trying to tell. He's trying to say, this is what's, what I'm up to right now. I've given you the prologue, the preface about what I've been up to in the world up until now. What I'm up to now is I'm working through you to try to bless the whole world, the whole earth. So this is how our God works. Don't imagine that he's, you know, we, we look at the God of the Old Testament and we go, that's a God of wrath. That's a God of anger. That's a God who's trying to keep us from getting what we want, right? And it's like we, we read the stories and, and we, we misunderstand what God's up to. You got to understand that this is what God has been up to since the beginning of time. From day one, he's wanted to bless everyone. That's what he wanted from Adam and Eve, Right? He wanted to be in relationship with his people and he wanted them to experience his blessing. That's what he's up to. And he does that. He chooses to do that in the midst of relationship. You guys might sit out, be out there wondering, like, what is wrong with the world? The world is a mess. Why, how in the world could we have a loving God if there's this much evil? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says... That he created us to be like him, which means uh, we're creative. Um, but then he also says he gave us dominion over all the earth. He says, I'm the God of the universe. I'm going to make you guys rulers of this, this little rock right here, okay? So this is, this is how he decided to let us engage with the world around us. And not only that, he's, he, we're, we're built in his image, so we're actually relational as well. We can't come to the bottom of ourselves by ourselves. We need other people around us, and we also need relationship with the Father. This is how God ordained the earth. That's how he created us. This is the story that we're walking into. And so we're going to do the service a little different today in, in such a way that we're going we're to worship each personality of God as we walk through the story of God. I'm going to give you the whole story of God throughout time, all the way from the beginning to the end. And I've started at the beginning. Hopefully we can fast forward to the end, but we're going to worship God the Father together here in just a second. And I just want you to be like me when I was that, that 10-year-old kid on the trampoline looking up at the stars. It's just like, imagine God, his wonder, his might. He's all infinite God. Yet, He's relational. This is our God. So let's go ahead and stand and worship him this morning.
life, restore us even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our self-inflicted pain. This is the type of God who we love and who loves us. And the story continues from Abraham, really. The, this guy, this agent of God's blessing, this guy that was willing to be in relationship with God because God is relationship. This guy followed God, and, and this nation of Israel came out of that. And this nation was supposed to be exactly what this verse 3 of, of, uh, Genesis, or of Genesis chapter 12 talks about, to be a blessing. His seed was going to bless all the nations. And before you say that that was Jesus, it had a meaning to Abraham when he first heard it. And it had a meaning to the nation of Israel when they first heard it. And that meaning was that they were supposed to live out this blessing. There was supposed to be this beacon of light, this hope, this restoration we just sang about. There's supposed to be a beacon of God's goodness and his grace to all the earth. God put them in the center of the known uh, civilized world at the time, right between Mesopotamia and Egypt. And so if you were going to take any trade route between the civilized world, you had to go right through the middle of God's people. That was what he was trying to do. He's trying to change the world through this people who are going to bring hope because they know who God is and they know that God is love, right? Now, it didn't always work out, right? So this is the, this is the problem is that we have a choice between whether or not we're going to actually trust the story that God's trying to tell with our lives or we're going to live out of insecurity 
live instead of in God's generosity, live in this place where we think of everything in terms of scarcity. There's only barely enough to go around. And so we try to take and we try to keep and we try to make it all about me. And in in doing so, we become the anti-story of God. And that happens. There are seasons where God's people do well and there are seasons they do really not well at all. (laughs) And so what God does is he keeps revealing himself all throughout Scripture until the, there's a culmination of his revelation. He comes to the realization that words are not going to be enough. I've got to show myself, show who I am. Sometimes words get to the point where they actually add to the confusion, right? And so uh, God himself comes on the scene. Um, and so let me, let me, let's read this, this passage here. It says, The Son which is Jesus, right? The Son is the image of the invisible God. God the Father is not visible. He's not seen. He's these words. And John chapter 1 says that the Word, 114 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself came down. So if you want to know what God looks like, all you got to do is look at Jesus. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Now, you got to understand, this doesn't mean that Jesus was created. The firstborn is this word called behor. Can you say behor? Behor, yeah. Oh, John, good job. Uh, so behor is this, this word that represents this firstborn son. The firstborn son is meant to uh, continue the family name and legacy. And so if you want to know what the family looks like, you look at the firstborn son because they're supposed to represent what it means to be part of that family, right? And so they actually, because of that, get double honor and double inheritance over everybody else because they have to live out the legacy and they're going to be the one who leads the family someday in the future. And so this is what, they're say- what this verse is saying about Jesus. He's the firstborn. If you want to know what God's priorities are all about, all you got to do is look at Jesus, Like, you don't have to look any further. This is what it means to be part of the family of God. Look at Christ. And he talks about what Christ did. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. Where was Jesus in Genesis 1 when God created the earth? He was there, right? Like, uh, it's, it's no question what it's saying right here. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, Who am I? Am I many things or one thing? I'm Derek Murphy. I'm one thing. Uh, I I don't have multiple personalities, uh, I don't think. (laughs) So I am, though, also billions of atoms, millions of cells, hundreds of parts, all put together and knit together into one thing, right? There's some mystery, and in, in that, Christ is holding me all together, right? And so if you want to understand how many things can be one thing, you can maybe take that as an analogy real quick. Um, let's see. He's the, uh, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. If you want to understand what death is like in Christ's creation, he's the firstborn of that too. And guess what? He conquers death. Uh, So that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, this is who our God is. If you want to understand God, all you got to do is look at Jesus. It's this idea that he is the image. Now, words weren't enough. An image can speak how many words? A thousand, right? And so uh, some of you had really good parents and some of you had really bad parents, right? We can just understand that with this many people in the room. Now, our parents are our image about how we're supposed to live life. And hopefully some of you who had really good parents, you guys got a, uh, like just a jump start on life because you could look at how your parents did things and you go, yeah, I want to do it like they did it because they did it this way and it was good for them. It was good for their marriage. It was good for our family. It created security. It created safety. It did this or that. And then some of you had bad parents are like, I don't want to be anything like my parents, but I don't know how else to live. You know, it's like, so sometimes you find yourself falling back into their bad habits, right? That's just the way it is. Like, for example, my, my dad, um, he was the son of an alcoholic, and his dad would come home angry, and what he would do in the midst of that is he would take his little sister, and they would go, and they would run, and they would hide under the bed, and so what he learned about conflict was that you run from it. That's what his mom taught him, is when your dad comes home and he's drunk, you run, and so all throughout his life, he, he taught me, this is how you deal with conflict, so I become an adult, and I'm like, this isn't a healthy way to deal with conflict, I can tell, right? And, that you, you, and, and so it's just, it's a bad way of living your life to run from everything that's, it, that you have in conflict. But then you look at Jesus and he says he is the image. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And the great thing is that it doesn't matter if you had bad parents, it doesn't matter if you had great parents. Our parents all let us down at some point, right? There's a place in which they were the bad image, and Jesus is the good image. All we have to do is look at him and say, oh, that's how I should live my life, right? And so God replaces his words, not replaces, he fulfills. Yeah, he makes them full, his words, with this great image. There's no longer any, uh, there, there was two main rabbis that, that were speaking in Jesus' world when he, came into, uh, when he came into the scene. There was a rabbi named Shammai, and he said, the two greatest commandments are this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and keep the Torah, meaning keep the commandments. And then there was another one named Hillel, and he, would, he taught, uh, the two greatest commandments are this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So which one do you choose? Even if Jesus hadn't picked a side, because when they asked, what are the greatest commandments? Jesus is speaking right into that, right? Even if Jesus had not spoken a word in association to that, by the way he lived, we would know which one he would pick, right? God is a God of relationship, and he always chooses relationship. In fact, he's just like his father, and that when God first came on the scene in chapter 1, which is chapter 12, right? Uh, he says, he goes and he picks a guy, right? And then Jesus, Jesus does the exact same thing. When Jesus' ministry starts, he gets baptized by John, he gets out and tested in the wilderness, and when he starts his official ministry, he goes out and he does what? 
he goes and he picks some dudes that he thinks can become like him. Right? It's like, it's like this God is love. And it's like this God is relational. And it's like this God actually wants to engage with us in a way in which we can do exactly what God intended from the beginning, which was bring blessing to the nations, which is bring hope into the hopelessness places of our world. This is what our God has been up to, and he does it. He, he reveals himself perfectly in the image of Christ. And so we're going to go ahead and take a minute here, and we're going to worship Jesus because he is worth worshiping. He's the one whom we follow. Matthew 4.19, Jesus says when he's calling his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus actually says, if you follow me, I will transform your life. And I will make you into a person who's going to go out and who's going to bring those broken people in, which is what I've always been trying to be about. Instead of believing that scarcity is is the, the way of life, I'm going to say the way of life is abundant. Like, if you actually follow me, you, you'll be bringing people in and showing them that they have meaning, that they, they can have hope because God actually sees something in them. They are not an accident. They are not a mistake. And I want you to take part in that mission. That's what Jesus wants from you and from me. So as we continue today, let's go ahead and just stand up and let's worship Jesus right now.
sit down. Man, it's so good. Jesus, what he does in our lives is amazing. He actually takes our sins away. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. This is who our God is, that he loves us so much that he would give his own life for our sake so that we could experience abundant life. That is who our God is. Our God is Yeah, so good, so good. Now, this Jesus, as much as we can ever understand God, which we can't ever understand God completely, right? (laughs) So as much as we can understand God, we understand him through Jesus because all the fullness of that passage I read in Colossians, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is how much of God was here, and we can understand him. But here's the deal, is that when we see God for who he truly is, and then, and then we're asked, follow me. <laughs> follow me. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like, you know, you may think you're a pretty good basketball player, and, and you, you're like, hey, you're invited by a friend. Come on over to uh, the rec center. We'll go ahead and play. And you, you're tying up your shoes, and then they bring out, your friend brings out like a professional basketball player and then he's like, hey, watch this guy for a few minutes. You watch this professional play for 20 minutes and then your friend's like, hey, just go play like him. And you're like, I thought I was pretty good a minute ago, but <laughs> now once I see that, like night and day difference, right? And so it's like, there's some, some ways in which looking at Jesus, we go, man, I am inadequate when it comes to this, right? And so there's there's some ways in which shame and guilt come on us because we, we see such a perfect image of what it means to live a life that's full of life and it's full of abundance, it's full of goodness. And so Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, he says something to his disciples, which I want to read to you. He says this in John 16, 7, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this word advocate is uh, this, this word in Greek that has a few different meanings. It's paraclete or parakaleo. This, uh, this is the, uh, the, the spirit of God that's being talked about here. And it's this advocate between us and the Father. But it's also this helper, this person that's, that's going to come alongside us and give us uh, really help to live this, this type of mission out. And so Jesus says, hey, it's, it's not good for me to stay around here for forever because guess what? I am a person in a body and I am in one location, right? It's like, it would have been cool if after Jesus rose from the dead, he just stuck around and he could be like the counselor to the world. We all just make an appointment, right? And show up and be like, Jesus, what do I need? And then he tells us, right? But it's, he says, no, I've got one better for you, right? If I go away, I will send somebody even better than me. Instead of a person in one spot, I'll give you something completely, something else. And let's read about that something else. This is Paul talking about uh, the Spirit. He says this in Colossians 1. I have become become its servant by the commissioning God gave me to be present or to present to you the word of God in its fullness. That's just Paul saying what he's up to. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. Okay, what is this mystery that's been kept uh, hidden? Uh, It's now being disclosed to his people. Okay, let's, let's hear it. 
To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles glorious riches of his mystery. Okay, he reveals one part of this, this, this awesome thing that he's been kept hidden. It's not only the descendants of Abraham that are part of this story anymore. It's everybody, all nations. It's the Gentiles and the Jews. And guess what? There's probably not many of us in this room that are Jewish, so this is good news for us. Let's keep moving. Uh, so the, the mystery of God is this. Christ is in you, and it's the hope of glory. This mystery isn't that God was this big God that's vast and infinite in the universe. He's love, but then he came down and he made himself very real and tangible. He, he made himself into something we could look at and we could touch and we could feel and we could see and we could, we could imagine what he would do in a certain situation, in a certain place. But then God says, no, no, I've got, I've got one better for you. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. Whoa, <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so not only do we actually see what God is all about, God's actually speaking his word into our heart in such a way that when we have to actually go out and live this, we have the power and the strength and the ability to do that because it's not God out here, it's God right here inside of us giving us the ability to live out something that's quite honestly supernatural. It's unnatural to live out the way of God in this world unless you have Christ inside of you. Now, what did God do when he started his story? What's the first thing he did? He's relational, so he did what? He picked a family through Abraham, right? Then what did Jesus do? He picked the 12, right? Now, it'd be interesting to see what the Holy Spirit does, right? The first time the Holy Spirit comes on the scene is in Acts chapter 2. And the very first thing we see is this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together talking about the disciples in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. And so here's what's going on. The, the disciples, they are they're actually locked in a room because they're afraid. This is how they've been acting since Jesus died and wrote, even after he rose again. They've been trying to keep themselves away from having the same fate as their Lord and Savior, right? It's like, we don't want to die. Can we blame them, right? It's like, no, I don't want to die either. So lock yourself in a door and keep yourself hidden. Now, when the Holy Spirit shows up, something completely different happens. Their own uh, kind of that self-preservation mode goes out the window. And instead, they go out, they open the door, they unlock it, go out on the rooftops, and there's a bunch, there's thousands of extra people in the city because it's a Jewish holiday. And they're like, man, these, they no longer see people as people that can kill them. They go, man, these are people that need to know who God is, that God loves them, and he wants to do something amazing in their lives. So they go out on the rooftops, and they just start preaching. I mean, like, how can you explain the change from one to another? The only difference is that they had the Spirit of God inside of them. There's a distinct change 
and difference between one and the other. And here's the deal is that God is actually asking us to join him in that. He, he, they preach, and 3,000 people got saved and received the Holy Spirit that same day. So it wasn't just the Holy Spirit revealing itself to one person or one family or to 12 people. I mean, the Holy Spirit's pretty amazing because it went from like 1 to 12 to 3,000 in a day. I mean, this is, the, this is what Jesus is saying when he says, man, this is powerful, something even better than me because it's, there, I, I will speak to you and I'm, I'm going I'm to use words to talk to you and I'm going to use actions that you can see, but the Spirit of God is going to come inside of you and it's going to change something I could never change. I can change some thoughts up here, but I can't change your heart. But guess what? Me living in you, that can change your heart. That can give you a whole different way of thinking and acting and seeing people instead of seeing people as the, 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 these people who are going to take from me. I start to see people as the, these people that need something from me. Man, I want to give back to them. I want to join God in his mission. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men and the Spirit of God. What he's trying to do in this world is he's trying to unleash the kingdom. Jesus preached about this kingdom uh, that's on earth as it is in heaven. And the way that it's unleashed isn't just him working, right? The way that God has always chosen to work on this earth is through his people. Why are there so many problems here on this earth? Why are there so many tragedies? How could a loving God allow these things to happen? Well, he put us in charge. Right? And he's saying, man, that's not what I want to happen at all. Like, I want my people to go out to really believe the message that I'm trying to tell to them. And I want them to go out and, and preach it in such a way that people can experience me because I am a God of love. And in my own nature, in my own being, in my own essence, I am relationship. And so here's what happens in the early church uh, when you could call the book of Acts, it's called the actual title of the book of Acts, it's the, the, the initial history of the early church. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. You could call that book the Acts of the Holy Spirit because every time what happens when they, when they go out is that they pray, they pray, God's Spirit shows up. They're given boldness and then miracles happen. It's, it's not them being awesome. It's exactly this sort of thing every single time. They're scared out of their pants. They don't want to go out and do anything. God's spirit shows up in their rock stars. It's like, what in the world? If you want to live out the adventure of following God, which is what we're here about here at K2, all you got to do is listen to the spirit and he will do amazing things in your midst. Actually, do this. Listen to the spirit and then when you hear what the spirit wants, do what it says. <laughs> right? Nothing changes if there's no action. But he, the Spirit gives us the power, the strength, the boldness to actually live it out, which is amazing, right? The work of God's Spirit is the work of the kingdom being unleashed all throughout the world. God's plan from the beginning of time was to be a blessing to all nations, and that is what God is doing in our midst. 
So I've got some implications for you today, okay? There's three of them here. Uh, The takeaway here is if we're going to be God's people, we need to be people of prayer. We got to have that connection with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and know what God wants to do with us because that's what the early church did. They prayed, God's Spirit showed up, and cool things happened, right? We got to be people of prayer. Number two, belief in the Trinity moves our base state from me to we. If we really believe this is who our God is, somehow, miraculously, it's a mystery, but God is three and also one, then we, we, it moves us outside of ourselves. It moves us, actually, to this place where we have this weird Trinity thing happening where it's like we have a God and other people and us, and it's like this, this amazing connection that we get to have, and it, it unlocks us and releases us in such a way that we're able to have freedom. And number three is this. It's connected to two. You cannot... Don't tell me, me and God are tight, but I don't care about people. I, they, they, mess, they mess with me. Don't tell me that because that is not who God is. God is in relationship and you cannot be in relationship with God and be void of community that values that relationship. You have to be connected with other people in a meaningful way. And so I just want to say today, if you're not, come tap, chat with us. We'd love to see you get connected because there is life that happens. And actually, there is amazing power that happens when we all get together and we start living out this mission that God has invited us to. You know, that's what the kingdom looks like. It isn't me doing my thing with God and, and then we're just going to go help a, a person. It's like, it's us. Like, you know, it's, it's us together. It's like it goes from uh, one to like, you know, the, the power of multiplicity or the like synergy or whatever you want to say. I don't know what I'm talking about, but it's that. It like multiplies itself when we get together with other people, right? Isn't that true? That's what we're about. So we're going to worship the Spirit of God here. And so we just, just want to invite you. Take a moment here. Um, just imagine what God is trying to do in your life. We want you to interact and react to this message of, of hope. That he's actually, because of his relationship with with. You know, the Father, Son, and Spirit, He has invited us into relationship with Him and then and, and calls us to be in relationship with each other. I don't know what God's trying to speak to you today, but in this time, praise Him, worship Him, and just think about what He's trying to call you today while you sing these last couple songs. Jealousy. 
We're going to do one last song together, and uh, before we start this song, I'm going to have the um, Connections team come forward, and we're just going to continue in worship through our offering. Thank you.